Do you need the tissue box, Avril? Yeah, okay. Uh, thank you, Juanita. Our friends, let's pray. And uh, it's a very specific prayer that uh, relates to that too. Father, you tell your people that we will rise over the storms in life, yet we might need to also endure the storms of life. Please help us to understand what is therefore expected of your people in such circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen. Our friends, the sun rose and dawn then broke this morning. You might think that is stating the obvious <laughs> and it's an odd way to start a sermon. But I do it to make a point. We expected the sun to rise. In fact, our expectation of this event was so strong that I would doubt that any of us gave it a thought. Perhaps you did, Avril. <laughs> gave it a thought as we went to bed last night. We had an expectation. It was met. And so we were not disappointed. Often, though, we have expectations which are not met, and usually when it comes to other people. For example, we have expectations of our parents, uh, of our children, of our friends, and often they do disappoint us. I suggest that this could be for one of two reasons. Either they genuinely fail us, they really let us down, or, more likely, our expectations of them were wrong or inappropriate. Uh, and the same can be with us and Jesus. Having the right personal expectations of Jesus is, a very, is very important. It is true to say that there is a wide range of opinion with regard to the expectations which Christians have of the Lord Jesus. That is, what they expect him to be doing in their daily lives. And it seems to me that many people have wrong expectations of him. So this morning, I put this question to you. At a personal level, uh, what exactly are you expecting Jesus to do for you? as you live out the next 10, 20, or maybe 50 years of your life? I ask that question because to have the right expectations of Jesus is not only essential for your own spiritual well-being, but also because it is important for us as we share the gospel in that we need to have the right answers when people ask the question of us. And you can be sure they will. We need to be able to tell people what they can expect of Jesus in practical terms as they live out their daily lives. Because to have the wrong expectations can lead to dire consequences as we are about to see. Uh, please turn to me, if you will, uh, to page 1621 or to your bulletin or to your phone <laughs> and we'll look at just two verses today, just two, John chapter 6 verses 14 and 15. 
Uh, the scene here is a mountainside and about 5,000 people, men, have just been fed from a young lad's lunchbox. Twelve baskets of fragments have been gathered up. Uh, the people are looking upon Jesus with awe and wonderment. And in verses 14 to 15 we read these very words. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The prophet who is to come into the world. Who is this? Well, way back in Deuteronomy 18, our other Bible reading today, and uh, also last week, sorry Dan, <laughs> uh, Moses speaks to the people and says, The Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. So then the people were expecting a great prophet like Moses to appear. In the eyes of the Jews, Moses had been the greatest. Truly a man blessed by God, he had been God's friend. We're told he had led his people out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage, we're told. He had led them through the wilderness. He had provided food and water in their times of need. He had handed to them the law from God himself. And he had led them to the very threshold of the promised land. Yes, this was the man all Israel revered. And it was Moses who conveyed that God promised uh, to, who conveyed that God promised that there will be another leader like himself. And here on the mountain, the people thought that Jesus was that man. And of course, in one sense, they were completely right. He was that man. But, but he had not come to fulfil the role which they had in mind of him. Now the circumstances of the people of Galilee were not the best. In fact the circumstances of Israel under Rome were in fact quite similar to those of Israel under the Egyptians in the times of Moses. They were living as oppressed people and a new Moses figure would have been most welcome. After all, they had been promised that by God. And feeding this great crowd of people, verse 2, was indeed a sign that Jesus was the one God promised. And so they sought to make him their king. <laughs> I still remember the days before Bob Hawke became Prime Minister. Uh, in his days with the ACTU. Yes, I'm getting old now. <laughs> Some of you might be thinking, Bob who? <laughs> you see, whenever there was a strike back then, and there were a lot, <laughs> and the particular dispute seemed totally irresolvable, along would come Saviour Bob. And after only a short time of negotiation, the workers would be back at work and the dispute resolved. 
Then he moved into politics. The majority of Australians saw him as a miracle worker. So they made him Prime Minister. They made him, you could say, King. And come to think of it, perhaps Uncle Bob saw himself as a bit of a messiah too. <laughs> it would be hard not to. He seemed at the time to be the sort of man that the nation needed. Someone who, who would set the country back on its feet, socially, economically and politically. Well, that's how the Galileans saw Jesus as the man for the job, someone who would set Israel back on its feet, socially, economically and politically. But <laughs> that isn't what Jesus came for, is it? You see, the people had the wrong expectations of him. He did not come to restore the fortunes of the Jewish kingdom. He came to issue in God's kingdom. He'd not come to patch up the old one through military or political clout. He'd come to create a new kingdom through the cross. Jesus performed many miracles and many were indeed acts of compassion. But that was not their chief purpose. All of Jesus' miracles, all of Jesus' signs, including this one about feeding such a great crowd, have a chief purpose. And the chief purpose is not just that one may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing one may have eternal life. It's also that of bringing about the new covenant, God's new kingdom through the cross. A cross necessary because of your sin, and my sin because God is holy a cross that comes about because God is love and doesn't want people to perish but all to come to repentance you could say that Jesus mission on earth was simply to reverse the results of sin that is why he came the Jews, however, saw in him a great leader, a political saviour, <laughs> like I've just said, a Bob Hawke-like character. <laughs> they wanted him to defeat the political powers of the day, which were oppressing them. And they wanted him to do it in a visible, worldly sense. But Jesus comes as a what? Humble servant. He comes to die on a cross. His mission was actually to defeat the invisible spiritual powers which were oppressing man in an eternal sense. And the Galileans couldn't see or understand these things and so they tried to take Jesus by force to make him their king a worldly king, a king in a mould which they had fashioned. And Jesus knows only too well that this is what they have in mind. But he's also very aware that this is not his mission. And so John tells us 
very clearly, he withdraws. But that is not the end of the matter. As Jesus' ministry progresses, we see people continually following him because for many, they still want him to be their king. Finally comes the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the palm branches, the cheering of Hosannas, John chapter 12. Uh, the great crowd thought that this one has finally seen reason and has come to now claim his throne and crown. Uh, little did they know that it was going to be a different type of throne and also a different type of crown. And when the people realise this, what do they do? In, to the, in response to the urging by Jewish leaders, they now, now reject him and call for his blood. Can you see what has taken place? The people had great expectations of Jesus and when in their eyes he didn't meet them, didn't come up to scratch, so they dismiss him reject him and fall away from him. Just like we're told in that awful verse in this very chapter that many stopped following him. John chapter 6 verse 66. Now we know that it wasn't that Jesus had in any way failed. So why such a turnaround? Answer because the expectations which this great crowd had were wrong. <laughs> when this scenario is brought into the present day, you can begin to see the implications for us, for, for you and for me. People will come into our life, into our ministries, into our churches, and they too will develop expectations of Jesus based on what we tell them. And if those expectations which develop are wrong expectations and are consequently not met, then they do what many in Israel do or did. They too may well dismiss him, reject him and fall away. So when, perhaps in a time of great need, people come to you and ask, what can I expect of Jesus? We need to have the right answers. How will you answer if someone came up to you and said, What's, what are the right expectations of Jesus? How do you expect to see Jesus working in the lives of people in 2023? With great miracles, great healings, people raised from the dead with signs and wonders. There are some who would have us believe that this must always be the case. But I suggest that they might be sadly caught up in the material, worldly realm, just like the Galileans who were on the mountain with Jesus. They see his work in the here and now, the physical and tangible. They claim, they demand health, wealth and prosperity now. They believe that all the promises of the kingdom of God are ours now, if only we can somehow take them hold of them by faith. 
or is it by force? Like, are they actually not trying to take Jesus by force? To make him king in their own mould? But that is not how it's meant to be. People who see Jesus in this way are making the same mistake as this great crowd on this green field. Verse 10. Many of the people of Israel did not follow Jesus because they misunderstood the theological significance of the signs. They actually followed Jesus for a while because they saw him satisfying their earthly needs. I hope none of us do that. Changing their life circumstances for the better. But Jesus performed selective miracles, like the feeding of the 5,000 men here, not to simply satisfy the people's earthly needs in the here and now. But, as I said earlier, to express theologically the chief purpose of his mission. Now think on this. <laughs> Jesus was the son of God and so could have fed the whole world, but he didn't. Jesus could have eradicated all disease, but he didn't. Jesus could have raised all the dead, but he didn't. Jesus could have overthrown all the evil spirits, but he didn't. So what did he therefore do? Well, he demonstrated by his miracles that he could do all these things. <laughs> because of who he is. But... <laughs> He, was, he also obediently went to the cross to take the punishment your sins and my sins deserve so that we can live and therefore be part of this new kingdom to come. Oh yes, there are spiritual signs and wonders indeed, but they have a chief purpose. And when we look closely, really closely, post the earthly Jesus, we find the truth is that the early church knew much of the ravages of hunger and need. We see that many of its own members were thrown into prison. We see that nearly all underwent persecution in one form or another. So too, sadly, today in the world. We see that Stephen was stoned to death for proclaiming the gospel. And James, the brother of John, was killed. That Peter was, with God's permission, to be sifted by Satan. <laughs> and the account which Paul gives of his life experiences in 2 Corinthians 11 is simply mind-boggling. Prisons, floggings, stonings, beatings, often hungry, thirsty, cold, shipwrecks, constant danger of death, and the list goes on and on and on. Yes, read 2 Corinthians 11. So in the face of all of this somewhat frightening evidence, what personal expectations can we have of Jesus? If Jesus doesn't always physically improve the circumstances of life for his followers, then what exactly does he always promise to do? 
I believe the Bible t teaches that we can, with great confidence, expect at least three things. One is about our past. One is about our present. And one is about our future. The one about our past is this. The blood of Jesus on that rugged cross once and for all deals with our sin. 1 John 1 9. Hallelujah. The one about our present is this. It can be managed. He promises to always be with us. Therefore stand with us, sustaining us, strengthening us. We are never alone despite what we might go through. Matthew 28, 20. And it concerns our future. It is secure. For example, as we read just in the last chapter, when one truly believes in Jesus, one has, yes, has crossed over from death to life. John 5, 24. My earlier question, just to push us a little bit further with this, what are your expectations of Jesus? Are you expecting him to sweep away corrupt governments? Are you expecting him to completely stop this awful sexual dissent? Are you expecting him to eradicate life's injustices? Are you expecting him to bring about world peace? <laughs> If you are, then I believe you have the wrong expectations of Jesus. You have, probably have the expectation of this great crowd in John 6. He actually didn't do any of these things during his earthly life, nor immediately after his death and resurrection. And we have no reason to think that he will do them now. Of course, he will do them one day when he returns as he promised. But until then we must continue to live in this corrupt, imperfect, sinful and often painful, gee some of us know what that's like, painful world. On a more personal note, are you expecting Jesus to give you a long, happy life? A fulfilling retirement? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> uh, perhaps a marriage partner? Children? Freedom from sickness? Financial security? Freedom from suffering? Well, we can hope for these things. And the Lord may indeed grant them to us. But I don't believe that you can expect them as a right. As we have seen from the Apostle Paul and the experiences of the early disciples, and as we can see, as we can see and observe from the lives of disciples down the ages, life is not always kind to Christians. It's often full of pain, suffering, frequent despair and even, even seemingly unjust death. And so it will be for some of us too.
We're not exempt from the general outcome of the sin in, in the world. Christians today die awful deaths from disease, go hungry, suffer loss, are unreasonably and unfairly persecuted, have marriage difficulties and family problems. In churches we hear of congregations disintegrating, conflict and division tearing them apart, let alone pastors having breakdowns, resigning, seeking counselling and so on. Not one of us is exempt from these things. Not one of us. And yet we pray. Earnestly pray. And sometimes God does the miraculous. Yet he always, always, not only forgives his people and not only sustains his people, but one day will bring his people into his heavenly kingdom. Hallelujah to that. We can always expect that. Surely, in concluding, Jesus is God's prophet. God's Messiah, the Son of God who came into the world. So again I say, hallelujah. <laughs> Thanks, Bob.